The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. The Cats hope to catch the Vols looking ahead. Is TCU getting the credit it deserves? And is Big Brother finally going to lay the hammer to the thorn in their side? This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, October 26th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Uh, this is now we are just under one week until the unveiling of the first college football playoff rankings. So by definition, everyone in the sport was glued to the television last night at 7 o'clock Eastern time when Kirk Herbstreet, David Pollitt, Joey Galloway, and me, along with a, a surprise appearance from Chris Felica, got people ready for the rankings. And everyone who was serious about the sport and authority on the sport, as it were, <laughs> were you were tuned in, right? Pisa, what was your favorite part of the college football playoff top 25 ranking show last night? <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't give it away well with the giggle at the end there, Reese. Uh, <laughs> so there was a distinct choice in the Thamel household on Tuesday night uh, after young Teddy went to bed and, uh, you know, settled in for some evening television. There was Reese Davis smiling on the YouTube menu, like ready to be clicked upon to watch. And then I said, can I really explain to my wife that this is in the rankings, but it's the show before the rankings? Like when I go to uh, conventions and they're they're not for like, they're not athletic director conventions, but they're people who are going to become them. She's like, wait a minute. So they're not even like the real ones. And so <laughs> sometimes it just... Things with uh, with with Kate, who works in fashion and maybe doesn't uh, follow our sport with the fervor as many, as many of our listeners. So uh, we went and watched The Watcher. We made a decision. We made a I made a business decision, uh, a Tuesday night decision to watch the uh, to watch The Watcher, which is the Netflix show about a. It's like a thriller about a, a couple of moves into a home in New Jersey and gets uh, gets harassed by an anonymous uh, mailer, and it's quite good. Uh, I recommended it to our colleague Gene Wojciechowski. I will gently tease that Gene mm-hmm. will be in the home of an FBS coach on game day this week who is alleged to have a haunted house, and Gene may have ghost hunters with him. So and we could lose Gene to, like, the, the new iteration of Unsolved Mysteries. We should be worried because I think Gene would really is really going to crush that role. So right. The Watcher is great, by the way. Uh, Rob agrees with me. Uh, I don't know if Sarah or uh, Charles have uh, have come and joined the watcher party yet, but it, it's quite good. So, with with all apologies, I, I I do I do have your banter saved in my uh, in my YouTube archives to watch uh, on the way to Jackson. You know, um, I mean, it was we had a good time. It was a good show, but um, uh, I think you could spend your time more wisely on your way to Jackson. Probably, I mean, it's the show before the show, you know. I mean, it was it was some of the stuff that, that you would expect. We talked about the differences between Tennessee and Georgia, um, how you were separating them, uh, the, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, who might get left out of TCU and Clemson run the table, you know, TCU passing Clemson, all of that. All of those things are really important and are the focus of this podcast. But I haven't had the opportunity yet to meet your lovely wife, Kate. But you said something that, that piqued my interest. Yeah. You said she worked in the fashion industry. 
Yes. How, how so? Because this, that now, now you're talking, uh, Pete, uh, I want to hear about this. She's a fashion buyer for the uh, TJX company, Reese. Okay. Does she, does she uh, dabble in the men's fashion? So she's done a, a lot of different things over the years, but it's most, mostly women's fashion. So she does dabble in my fashion. Don't judge her on it. it I've come a long way. Uh, no, I, I, think you look, I think, I think you've done a great job. You've, uh, you've done a great job out there. I would man. not, uh, I would not, as you wanted to have a pocket square with your toga and Eugene, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be that past fashion forward. I, I have, you know, the, I think the thing is, is I've really leaned into this much like, um, much like the entire thing about dressing well to fly on a plane. I am serious about that. I'm, I, I am sick and tired of, you know, people looking like they just finished cleaning their garage. I mean, I, I don't really think yeah, that you have I don't, to dress I don't up. ride with you. On, I don't ride with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you don't, but I, it's, I've really leaned into it and probably I shouldn't even say this because people start, stop doing it. And I, I get a great kick out of it. But I have one of our executives that was uh, supposed to be on a flight with me ended up not going. It was one that got canceled last week to Eugene or whatever, but he texted me the night before to apologize in advance for his attire on the plane. So I've, I've actually quite enjoyed the banter back and forth and, and making fun of people to a degree that it really doesn't even bother me, but it, it does kind of, I mean, I'll, I'll confess, uh, there was a, a gentleman who was, uh, uh, was not well-dressed on a flight with Jen Latta and me, uh, last week, and the it was the dress, as it turns out, was the least of his concerns. I, I, he had all kinds of uh, very loud issues on the way on the way flying. I mean, there there was uh, there was wailing and banging and gyrating, and then loud laughter. I don't know what was going on there, but you know, perhaps it was because he realized how poorly dressed he was. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, he it was uh, it was this, I don't want to you know make fun because I don't know what all was going on, but none of the flight attendants ever really went over to see him. So it couldn't have been too serious. He was just, uh, he was a little sideways. We'll, we'll put it that way. And that's putting it mildly. I'm sure Lad has talked about it on her morning radio show because she, she'll talk about anything on, on that show. Um, one other, you know, we're going to Jackson this yeah. week to go to the Boombox Boombox classic. We got some really cool stuff. Um, put together on the subject of executives. I know that just like you haven't uh, been uh, held captive by our Tuesday night ranking show, I'm sure you're not locked in on my Twitter feed either, which, you know, I've, I've really, you know, I've really tried to break this habit that I hear a lot, Peter, people say, I posted this on social media, I posted that on social media, but there was a thing this week where people some people got upset because I quoted the Johnny Cash, June Carter classic Jackson in a tweet mm -hmm. and became upset to some degree um, because they alleged that the song was about Jackson, Tennessee and not mm -hmm. Jackson, Mississippi, um, including one, one of our executives, the, the, the very talented and excellent leader, Stephanie Drewley, who who tweeted and said, I think this song is about Jackson, Tennessee. To which then I responded with a direct quote from the songwriter, the songwriter himself, who said, it's not about any particular Jackson. I like the sharp, hard consonant sounds of Jackson, as opposed to the softer sounds like, say, oh, let's say Nashville. So I, I, 
I, I enjoy every now and then getting to tell the suits that they ought to trust me. You know, so, so Jackson's like Springfield and the Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the, what, what's the, what's in the every town? town. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the town and family guy? We forget how to pronounce it. Q-hog or Quahog. Quahog. Okay. Yeah. Quahog. 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 Right. It, Thank you, funny. Taylor. My son tells me that there is a family guy clip for every situation. And it is really remarkable because I'm not an aficionado, but I've watched it quite it's a bit. It's funny. Yeah. It is very funny. Yeah. And so I've watched it some and will sometimes as a family, some subject will come up just randomly and, and my son will pop up this family guy clip. It's really, it's really pretty amazing. That's the magic of YouTube. Now you just don't, you, you don't have to quote it. You can actually just like pull your phone up and 30 seconds later, you can play it for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're looking forward to going to Jackson. Now, what, what are you most looking forward to about, about that trip down there? So a couple things. Uh, I've never been to a big HBCU game, so I'm excited to uh, to sort of you know engage in the pageantry and uh, you know just sort of see the scene. It's I think it's going to be remarkable. Uh, I am taking a little side trip Thursday night to go to the Southern Miss Louisiana game in Hattiesburg, and I'm excited about that. I have uh, never been to a game at the Rock. It's about an hour twenty. 6.30 kick local, um, so when I land, I'm just going to scoot right down and uh, see our friends at Southern Miss, so that should be, uh, that should be a fun little, uh, fun little side trip. I, uh, I have not been to a Thursday game this year, and I always like going to Thursday games. There's lots of scouts there, and uh, yeah, there's, there'll, there'll be a good buzz in the air. Uh, Will Hall, you know, they have two lanes only lost. They, they delivered to them earlier this year. They've got a good, uh, they've got a good little buzz going in their, uh, in their second season, and uh, Louisiana's turned things around after a tough start under uh, Mike Desmo. So uh, I'm a sucker for weeknight football, and I get to catch a little live. So I'm, 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 pretty, uh, I'm pretty fired up about that. And I'll be curious just about Coach Prime. I haven't spent a lot of time around him. I've, I'm, I've not covered the NFL. So and he was obviously in college uh, long before I started covering college. So, yeah, I'll just kind of be curious. I saw Dez on his social media was down there with him this week. Mm-hmm. Um, did they play together somewhere? Um, let's see. Dez was with the Redskins and the Packers and I think the Raiders. So I don't – I don't, I don't think, think so. so I don't yeah. think so. But, yeah. um, you know. um, but I'd just be, i be curious. Yeah, I'll just kind of be curious because, look, like we're getting a window, Reese, into what a lot of schools are thinking about, right? Mm-hmm. There, p- people are cur- have been curious and will continue to be curious. Like when I, people bring up Jackson this week on the phone, the first thing, question, hey, is, is he going to get a job? Is Dan going to get a job? Is somebody going to grab it? Like that is like the, on the tip of people's tongues. And mm-hmm. so I think getting to see his program up close, getting to see what he's built. Uh, I think they have a Friday morning practice that if it doesn't conflict with our meetings, then I'm going to try to go over to and see, I would just be, uh, I'll go I'd with be, you on that. I'd, I'd like to do that too. Maybe yeah, we I'm, might have to I'm move a meeting. To get really curious. They've got, uh, you know, Tim Brewster's on their staff, the mm-hmm. former Minnesota coach. He's the tight ends coach. Uh, Dennis Thurman, longtime uh, NFL defensive coordinator, um, former USC assistant back in the day. Uh, former USC player, I believe he, you know, so they, you know, Dion has assembled a good staff and there's some, there's some talented guys. So I'm actually going to dig in a little bit today with scouts on, uh, you know, they have some portal guys who are getting looks. They don't have like a top hundred player there in this mm-hmm. upcoming draft, but they have some talent. So I'm just kind of curious. I'm going to call, uh, 
Willie Simmons at FAMU who played him earlier this year. And obviously they, they thumped him in the uh, orange blossom classic down there in, uh, in South Florida. That was when FAMU was getting all their guys back off the, uh, you know, remember they had all the suspensions right. for the suspension opener against because Carolina of the eligibility yeah. issues. Correct. There. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of curious to eyeball, uh, you know, you and I've done this for a long time. We say that all the time in here, right? I, that just, there's not a lot of like firsts left. There's not a lot of things I haven't <laughs> done left. So this is a, this is a really, uh, a really, a really cool one. So I'm pretty fired up. I, I have been able to uh, cover big HBCU games in the past. In addition, you know, we, we took the show there for week zero a couple of years ago, uh, I guess last year, uh, Time starts melting together. But when I was working in local, Tuskegee and Morehouse used to play in Columbus, Georgia, where I worked. And that was always like a huge scene, an intense game, fun game, uh, you know, to go check out. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of the things you mentioned as well. And, and Jacob Hester, who's now a radio host, told me um, earlier this week that um, played at LSU, played in the pros, you know, for a long time. Um that the facilities, he said, you'll be, he said, you'll be blown away. Be really impressed with the facilities that, um, that Jackson state has put together with, uh, with Deion Sanders urging, you know, and push forward to be able to do that. He said, they've really got uh, excellent facilities for their players. And so I'm, I'm excited about going, uh, going as well. I hope, I hope it's not pouring down rain, you know, pouring down rain in the show. I don't think it's going to dampen the enthusiasm of the show, but, uh, you know, hopefully not for the game that it won't be that. I, well, I hope it's not for the show either. Particularly. I, ask, I haven't looked at the forecast. Um, 90% at last check. Hope, hopefully that's going to change. It, it actually, it wasn't as, uh, as rainy as anticipated last week in Eugene. So we, no. we could be, we could be good there. We got but like think, six weather know, people, patterns in one day in Eugene. So. Yeah, no doubt. You know, well, that's it's a hundred percent now. So is it? Uh, okay, yeah, well, it's it's just a matter of uh, a matter of when it comes, I guess. Okay, so, well, make make sure you that got could be a pretty fun scene in the pouring rain with some bands. Uh, could be, and you know, yeah. I'm curious about the fans. I have no sense. Uh, obviously, the HBCU schools have passionate, passionate fans, right? Like that's one of the things you can, you know, when you watch those games on TV, you can feel, uh, you can feel that viscerally. So I'll, I'll be curious the type of energy they bring to the show. I think it's going to be huge. Um, from what I understand, the uh, whole city is really excited about us coming. Some have even compared it to the excitement that we felt when we went to Memphis, when the entire city. Uh, sort of got behind the arrival, and I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. the The capacity at at the vet at Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium is like sixty thousand, and I think they're expecting more along the lines of seventy thousand wow. at the game. Yeah. So it's uh, and I imagine with it being you know an afternoon kick, the kick doesn't bump up against the show, but it's not long thereafter, and apparently. Sure. Um, you know, the tailgating and preparation, everything is going to be right there beside, beside our set. And yeah. you, you brought up something really interesting, and then we'll, we'll move on to the week after this. You brought up the, the point that everybody that you've talked to has asked, is Dion going to get a job? Is Dion going to get a job? And we often say on college game day that we don't always just go to the game where the two highest ranked teams are playing against each other. And I think we've really underscored that this year, mm -hmm. that we follow things that are stories and big scenes. Um, Appalachian State, at the time, coming off that wild game against Carolina, the upset against Texas A&M, 
they were a story for the first, you know, two weeks of the season. They had sort of captured the imagination of people. Kansas with the unbeaten start in a big uh, conference showdown, never been there. That was a story in the moment. And I think because of what Dion's built, both with the success that Jackson State is having on the field and his attractiveness as a potential head coach elsewhere, should he choose to pursue that path? And he's one of the few guys in the industry, I would say, that has the means and the stature and the credibility in terms of accomplishment to where he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. It's a question of whether he wants to and how that dovetails with what he perceives as his uh, as his mission, as his ministry, uh, you know, all of those things that he's talked about extensively. So we're following the story. And I think it's uh, it's going to be going to be a great scene. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think the slate is heavy with tremendous games. And there there are a lot of questions, I think, about where even at home, even in front of the big crowd, about whether Penn State can really push or be a threat to Ohio State. Um, I, do think it, I do think it might be one of the better tests for Ohio State's defense um, for the first time this season, but I'm not sure um, – I'm not. I'm not really sure that they have enough offensively to keep up with whatever Ohio State's going to do to just about anybody. Yeah, you know, you got to you got to give uh, Brian Hartline, the receivers coach at Ohio State, a lot of credit. Like he has crafted a room where the single best, most productive receiver in the country, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who had the best receiving year in the history of the Big Ten in 2021 can essentially be lost for the season. Now, I hope his hamstring is is back. It certainly didn't look good the way he pulled up uh, against Iowa uh, early in the second quarter on, uh, on, on Saturday. But just the fact that they have essentially seamlessly evolved without him. Now, they certainly miss him. He's the, you know, he's the best receiver in the country. He's a top 10 NFL draft pick. He had what three hundred forty-seven receiving yards in the Rose Bowl. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was a Rose Bowl record. It was a bowl record, and I believe it was the fifth best single game performance. It was against Utah too, a team that has a pass rush and you know has Clark Phillips and others at corner. Although Phillips might not have played in that game. Um, the <clears throat> just so the fact that they have been able to build that group and build that culture to where essentially. You don't get on the field and start if you're not a first rounder is is fairly remarkable. And look, Alabama had that for about a three year stretch, and that is that has ended, right? I mean, we can say that with with some comfort. They have good players, 
Yeah. And they have players who are going to develop into good players, but they don't have an all SEC wide receiver right now at Alabama. And that shows uh, that shows in the, that they lead the nation in drops. It just shows in a little bit of the clunkiness of their, of, of their offense. Um, when you don't have that type of diamondism, in fact, they're, they're, you know, all American receiver last year came from Ohio state, which may be the mm-hmm. highest compliment um, <clears throat> yeah. you, you could have. So that group, I will say this goofy things happen at Penn state at night. Right. I think about the, yeah, it's a noon, it's a noon game though. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It is. It is. a big, yeah. yeah. Now if I'm James Franklin, I would hate that. Like, that place at night is a cauldron and it'll be great at noon because it's Penn state and it's a whiteout, but boy, that place at night is there's some of the great scenes I've ever covered college football in have happened in, in Penn state at, uh, at night. Um, the, you know, the, the, the scene will, it will be Ohio state's by far and away biggest test of the year. Um, what is Penn state's run defense? Is it what it was the first six weeks of the season or was it Michigan mauling over them? Uh, as they did. And I was surprised by that. Um, you know, how do their freshman tailbacks hold up against the, you know, arguably the best defense they're, they're, they're going to see this year is Ohio state's defensive line evolved to the point where they can be definitive run stuffers. It's almost for Ohio state, a little bit of like the tests you're going to have at the end of the year at Michigan. These are the quizzes and that we're going to get a check in to see how you perform against them. You know, the Penn state Michigan game, it can be, overly influential in evaluating this game. But I came away from that. Yes, a little bit cooled on Penn State, but more impressed with Michigan. More more so that, you know what? They probably, uh, you know, I wouldn't go in and pick them to beat Ohio State at the end of the season in Columbus. But I did come away from that game and putting 400 yards on the ground on, you know, what had been a really good rush defense and maybe still is for Penn State. I came away from that game more along the lines of thinking, all right, Michigan's not just going to roll over and, and, you know, act as if last year was a one-year aberration in the Ohio State dominance. Ohio State probably, uh, probably will beat them, probably should beat them, but they're going to have to do it. You know, they're, they're going to have to play well. They won't be able to, you know, roll out an average game and beat them. At least, you know, your perceptions evolve as the season, go, uh, season goes along. But I came away from that game not so much down on Penn State other than throwing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at guys, allegedly, and, um, and, and more impressed with Michigan. In, in case you don't know that story, this week during the news conferences and talking to the Michigan players about the little – and Harbaugh about the little dust up in the tunnel. Most of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the big house. The two teams go into one tunnel and one side, and, you know, it can it can lead to some unpleasantries from time to time. And it did at halftime of the Penn State-Michigan game. And I guess uh, it was R.J. Moten who told a teammate, I, I just got hit in the face with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so I don't know who would throw a good PB&J, but apparently someone did. I mean, you're giving away halftime protein, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's gonna that's gonna keep you that's gonna keep you fueled in the uh, in the second half. Yeah, big house, small tunnel, right? That's what, yeah. that's the lesson of uh, the the lesson of this. Good old fashioned coach chippiness too. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing oh, wrong man. with just, nothing wrong with coaches just straight out calling each other, saying the stuff they would like call their conference football administrator and complain about. Saying it out loud is just beautiful. It, like never changed, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, uh, 
I, I tell you, I agree. I, I because Harbaugh said that it looked as if, paraphrasing here, that uh, James Franklin was the ringleader of the whole mm-hmm. thing. He said, and by the way, I've got bigger fish to fry than that kind of whining. I think he referred to them as sophomoric. Sophomoric. That, yeah, was, a nice, that was a nice pull, showing off his Michigan degree. Yeah, <laughs> and his or his time at Stanford. I, yeah. but probably the Michigan degree. I don't want to insult the good people at Michigan, but it was. Well, he did when he was at Stanford, actually, because he said they didn't have any academic standards. And then he that, that, job, that's so. true. That, that, that's true. So I guess I'm in the clear there. But yeah, I I, I love that stuff. I you know. I like to do those coach translators every now and then. It's one thing I really miss about Mark D'Antonio not being at Michigan State anymore because, mm-hmm. I mean, his disdain and contempt for the maize and blue always, oh, yeah. always oh. showed through a good fodder for the translator that everything, basically everything that came out of his mouth and Harbaugh's in, in, uh, in retort was almost basically, I don't like them. You know, I think when you, I think one year I played this long uh, D'Antonio bite, it came out and said, yeah, what he says is I hate Michigan, you know, <laughs> which is, which is pretty much it. That game, uh, I look, Michigan state for whatever reason. And well, I know the reason, at least a large part of it for Michigan, Michigan state is largely an annoyance over the years. I mean, I'm speaking historically way back. Ohio State's their biggest rival. That gets under Michigan State's skin, of course. So for Michigan State, it's a crusade. For Michigan, it's a little bit more of a relief type thing. But it might be, you know, it might be different this year because, you know, I think since since 2008, old Sparty's 10 and 4 against Michigan. Um, Mel Tucker Tuck coming, you know, Tuck's coming. He's 2-0 and uh, against them. And Michigan State all time. This is a really a fascinating nugget. They have 11 wins as an unranked team against ranked Michigan teams. Wow. That is the most such wins by one program over a single opponent in wow. the history of the AP poll. Wow. 11. They live. They live to ruin things for their neighbors to the South. Yeah. It's an interesting moment in time for, for, for Michigan state. I, I have to admit, I did a, uh, I did a little bit of a, a, a double take that that was the, uh, that that was the primetime game on, uh, on, on ABC. And it, you look, it'll rate big. People care. It's a great rivalry. It's just, again, credit, credit at Michigan state after just a interminable four game slog you know, including just the game they didn't show up at Maryland, which was probably the probably the most surprising. Um, you know, they go to they go to they they have homecoming against Wisconsin and they and they beat them in double overtime. And and so, if you're if you're Michigan State staff right now, you know Mel Tucker's not going anywhere, right? So you're 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 coaching for your job because um, there are there will be changes. Um, you know, as the head coach isn't going anywhere. It's the same thing with 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 Jimbo Fisher down at Texas A and M. Obviously, you know, he is completely safe. There's zero chance he's going to go, just like Mel Tucker. But you've hit a dip, and the university is committed historically to you if you're Mel Tucker. Now you have to show you can fix it. And, uh, you know, the portal giveth, but the portal also may not. And, and I think that's the lesson of, uh, of, of Mel Tucker here. And what I'd be concerned about if I were a Michigan State fan is 
where are the guys you recruited in your, in your first class, which again was COVID, right? So it's hard, but like when, when are the guys going to start to show and flash are the building blocks there? And I think this game is a good test of that for, for Mel Tucker. Cause I do think that we'll see some changes pretty significantly on both sides of the ball. I do think, they probably got a little too portal reliant. And that's, that's a balance when you talk to coaches that they're dealing with all the time. And now that there are holes, clearly now you've got to fill them immediately. You don't have the time to to grow and develop. Uh, Mel Tucker, I mean, made his bones in the SEC for years and other places like Ohio state um, when he wasn't in the NFL, you know, as someone who was an elite recruiter, he saw the Kirby machine and helped run it. He saw the Nick machine and helped run it. Um, I'd like to see their machine kick up their machine, meaning high school recruiting. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a tough spot because I don't think they're ever going to consistently beat Ohio state, Michigan, but they should be right there on some, maybe get a few wins here and there. And I sort of think he, in this, unless, you know, the portal rules change, he's always going to have to rely on the portal to some degree, but being overly reliant is difficult because this is different from basketball. Uh, I heard a, a college basketball coach the other day uh, say just openly and candidly that I can't, I don't, I don't worry about who might leave or who might come. I, I take my team this year, one year experience and realize it is going to be totally different next year. And I don't think you can do that in football because you're dealing with more, you're more people. Uh, I think the nature of the sport often lends itself to more need for continuity from one year to the next, at least some continuity. But I do think that they're always going to have to have major blocks from the portal because I don't think they're going to win that level of recruiting battle if they want to compete with Michigan and Ohio State particularly, and maybe you could even extend that to Penn State. And when you look at the rest of their schedule, they're at Illinois, Rutgers at home, Indiana at Penn State. If they lose, as, as Vegas dictates, I believe, by three touchdowns that they, uh, that, that they will on Saturday, um, they will go to three and five. So that means obviously they would have to finish three and one in those, uh, in those final four games. I have a hard time seeing that happening. So well, I, I think that will be it. Will, we will start to see a November of soul searching and change in uh, in East Lansing. Well, they're they're not winning Saturday night. I'll tell you that right now. And I'm I'm considering on Friday, considering making this my lock because we've seen Harbaugh, and I don't think that he's that different from the. Uh, Hey, what's your deal? And going for two, make a statement, you know, against SC back when he was at Stanford. This is this has been a little bit of a thorn in his side, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's these two games, whether it's the botched punt snap, you know, uh, all of all of those things, um, you know, that have sort of been the thorn in the side of Jim Harbaugh. If they get a chance to lay the number, I think they lay the number, and I suspect that I suspect that they will do just that. Yeah, I don't see uh, I don't see Sparty putting up a lot of resistance. But no. when D'Antonio was there, there were a lot of times when I didn't see them putting up resistance, and they figured out a way. So um, blind hatred will carry you a long way sometimes. Yes, God bless it. <laughs> yes, God, uh, God bless it. But I don't see us. Uh, 
you know, locked in for, uh, for is, Her- is Herbie calling that game? No, he's not. Uh, which that, what a, what a segue artist you've become. Um, beautiful. Uh, Kirk is calling the Kentucky Tennessee game oh, on Saturday night on Rocky nice. top, nice. which you sure you got um, a condo in Knoxville this year. Uh, yeah. I know. How about that? It's, uh, been there, been there quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Game day's been there twice. It might not be his last trip there. Who knows with the way uh, the season is unfolding. Do you know that this is um, this is just the third time that they've ever met as ranked opponents? Wow. Would no, you I like didn't. to ha- Would you like to hazard to guess who the coaches were the last time Kentucky and Tennessee met as ranked opponents? Bear Bryant for Kentucky. And then General Nealon for Tennessee. Excellent work by you, Peter Thamel. Wow. Excellent work by wow. you. I'm paying some Tennessee taxes this year too. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's this is a this is the quintessential battle of style and pace. There are a couple of things. Um, you know, Tennessee historically has absolutely owned Kentucky. Mark Stoops has had a little bit of success, but overall, Tennessee, despite all of its issues, they won 34 of 37, uh, and in this meeting, you you have one of the slowest paced teams in the country in Kentucky and one of the fastest in Tennessee. The one thing I wonder about is last year, it was first year. I get it. Tennessee's offensive line is probably even better this year. Kentucky did get a little pressure on Hendon Hooker last year or last year, which was something Alabama was unable to do this year. For Kentucky to have any chance, and I'm I'm not sure that I believe they really do have a chance, but to have any chance, that's what they have to do. I think they I've got the number here. They pressured him on 36% of his dropbacks last year. That's the most he's been pressured in any start at Tennessee. And he got sacked five times. He went two for five with averaged about five yards per attempt. Now he he cut him up when he wasn't pressured, as he has just about everybody else. That's their only chance is to somehow get them behind the sticks, um, make a couple of unproductive possessions, and then hog the ball and and be able to control uh, the pace and the tempo and maybe hit some shots with Levis, who seems to be getting healthier. But I'm not optimistic about the Wildcats' chances to catch the balls in a look-ahead game looking ahead to Georgia. You know, it's it's interesting, Reese. So to tease a digital story I'll be doing next week, I've been talking to coaches uh, for the past four or five days to kind of, you know, these anonymous breakdown stories where yeah, you kind of have yeah. guys. I love sort those. Of, sort of yeah. Play it. yeah. And this one's been particularly fun because, you know, there are years where it's like, oh, Alabama, they're really good. You know, their left guard might be a little shaky, but like, you know, there were, yeah. there were, you had to really search for vulnerabilities where I think one of the things that's making this season unfold so fascinating is that everybody's got some vulnerabilities up top, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody's running away with anything this year. And I think that the, the, the ceiling that Alabama and Georgia had pushed maybe and nudged away from the sport has come down to, you know, numbers three versus seven or three versus eight. I do think there's a beautiful muddle one to one to at least six at, at the top of the sport. So I will tease this boy do a lot of coaches think Tennessee can beat Georgia like way more than I thought the people who sat in the film room and grinded it out. So I certainly have a lot of respect for Kentucky. And, and the reason you said is this, the teams that can affect hooker are going to have the best chance 
to beat them. Jalen Carter really just hasn't been a factor this year for for, for Georgia. So he's been hurt a lot. Though. Yeah, he's no, been, and, yeah. and and he had he had the MCL against Missouri. Uh, Kirby's pessimistic about him playing this week. Um, I, I probably wouldn't expect him to in uh, in the cocktail party. Maybe he's back for Tennessee. Maybe he isn't. But um, so it will be interesting to see. That was a that was a dogfight in Lexington last year. Tennessee won by a field goal, 45-42. How, how much better is Tennessee, you know, on offense where they could maybe push ahead? There's an expectation that Cedric Tillman comes back, which I think has been, it, you know, amid this glorious run for Tennessee, they have not had their best player. Like he is their best draft prospect on the offense. And so uh, all of a sudden, again, they should not look past Kentucky because Kentucky has the has the war daddies up front who could impact Hooker and, and obviously has from the data you gave last year. But uh, boy, boy, is it going to be a fun moment. We can dive into that more next next week a little bit. But I did. It, it was surprising because it was like, you know, Georgia, especially at corner uh, opposite Ringo, people are very skeptical. If there's one thing we saw, I mean, we saw uh, Helms, the safety from uh, fr- from Alabama, just you could feel like viscerally him getting exposed in that game. He knew it. 100,000 people in Neyland Stadium knew it. Um, if there is someone to expose in a secondary, Alex Golish and Josh Heupel have shown they can call the plays and dial it up to figure to figure it out. Uh, you know, and that that's the thing, not to go back to that game, but that was the big coaching win. That was the the pantsing of of the Alabama defensive staff was that they kept finding him. Really interesting too that that led Alabama uh, to put uh, Eli Ricks on the field. For the mm-hmm. first time, maybe, you know, there were some practice issues or whatever, um, but he looked like a dude um, against Mississippi yeah, that's State. That's been the an interesting night. case. Yeah. That's, that's so been an I, interesting case. I would, I would hazard to guess that old number seven is going to be out there for the rest of the year, barring some unfortunate circumstance. Um, one and thing if I like in the SEC title game, I guarantee. You oh, yeah. He'll, he'll have to be. <laughs> Alabama's got a couple of big hurdles to get to that SEC title no game. Doubt. All of their tough games are on the road this year, and they turned the AM game into a tough one at home. Um, but one thing I'd like to hear, we don't have to dive into it now, but for next week, if you still have some more guys to talk to, mm-hmm. pressure on Hooker. Schematically, what did Alabama not do that maybe Georgia will learn from and do to free up some of their pass rushes? Because it never really seemed as if they got – uh, very often, anyway, got Turner, Anderson, obviously Braswell loose to try to say go get him, and I, I would be interested to hear that. Well, I don't think they did much. That that was basically generally they just kind of sat back and hoped Will got home, and then didn't make a ton of adjustments in between to to try to change that to affect him. Because for Hooker, and look, he's the Heisman leader. I certainly he you know I don't want to knock Hendon Hooker at all, but he is not Drew Brees accuracy. So the mm-hmm. thought is, if you can close into him and close the windows, that's the best way to get them behind the chains. To slow them down, you have to get them behind the chains. And so um, what, what's interesting, another coach pointed out to me, Reese, uh, in that line, is that if you are Georgia, you are happy they had Alabama first because mm-hmm. your systems are so similar that you can glean from what they did wrong. It's almost like you played them twice, right? You had you, you don't have to film it yourself. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. But there's mm-hmm. a, there's enough schematic overlays of what worked and what didn't where you get to drill down on what worked. It Can't you just hear Herb Street right now if he were sitting on here with us? 
Poor old Kentucky. Poor yep. old, poor old Mark Stoops. I don't even know why they're going to bother to show up. I don't know. Yeah. So poor old yeah. Will Levis, maybe the number one pick in the draft. Uh, number one pick in the draft. No chance. No shot. I mean, all, all he did was throw for 372 yards on him last year. And, and you can move the ball through the air on, on Tennessee's defense. And Chris Rodriguez is coming off his best game of the season, almost 200 yards on the ground. So, you know. wonder how many scouts will be in old Lexington. I think Bear said last week that Keeneland closed. That's too bad because there could have been a boon from the scouting community over there. You know, it's um, and, and this is a big opportunity too. It's I hadn't even thought of this until you just mentioned the scouts. This is a pretty good opportunity for Will Levis because the big scout games uh, so far haven't really gone great for him. I mean, they won at Florida, but you know, he it's not like he set the world on fire, and then he had a rough day. Um, against Ole Miss in that loss with with some turnovers. So this is, you know, I think Will Levis, based on what I know of him, he's not sitting there worried, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, try to impress the scouts. But players know when games are big and they want to shine on the biggest stage, and this is a huge stage for, for both, but particularly for Kentucky. And, you know, Kentucky still has Georgia uh, ahead of them. So, you know, an opportunity for them to, make some noise down the stretch. I've been, I've been getting, Taylor's been pushing hard on, on this South Carolina angle. He's all excited about South Carolina. What is your, what is your affinity and connection to South Carolina, Taylor? Well, Reese, I've been to a couple of games in Columbia. I think two or three always had a great time. Shout out to stock and Yerg. I just think they're a nice story. They're five and two, and I think they're deserving of a winner. And while their resume right now might not be great, they have some opportunities coming up. The next three games are very winnable, and then they close the season with Tennessee at home and Clemson on the road. They could play spoiler in the playoff race. They could get to a 10-win season. You know, there's a lot ahead of them, and I think it's really exciting right now. So just admit it, Taylor, when you were growing up, you had that like white baseball hat with maroon lettering that said Cox on it, South Carolina, right? Just admit it. <laughs> Pete, I have a lot of memories in Columbia, some very good, some very bad. We will not talk about any of them on the podcast, but that's all kind of stuck with me. And I just I've got a soft spot for the Gamecocks. What can I say? <laughs> Columbia is a good little town. I like going to Columbia. And in I will say this. I, I caught the end. Cole Kublik, uh interviewed Shane Beamer uh, at, at the end of that game on uh, on Saturday night. And uh, <clears throat> Shane Beamer, of course, said it's the best environment to watch college football in the country, the best environment, best fan base. It was the typical home and exaggeration. It was an exaggeration. I will say this, when that place is popping, it's loud and it's good. They got those trains in the back. Like when, when Spurrier had it going, I was there a bunch. And it's a heck of a place to watch a college football game. And much like the Kentucky fan base always showed up through the lean years, the South Carolina fan base in football always showed up through the lean years. So I appreciate that, that, that it's clear that a winner is being built there and that I, I don't think anyone expected Shane Beamer to turn this thing this quick. He, he's done a great job. Shane's one of my favorite guys to work with. And I think he's the quintessential example. I'm not, I'm not putting him in the hall of fame yet or anything like that, but there are some guys who don't really need the lower level job as a head coach to kind of know how to do it. Now, Shane obviously had a, uh, he lived a great example with his dad being a head coach, you know, virtually his entire life. But, um, you know, he, he sort of stepped 
into that role and understands, um, knows how he wants the program to be run. He's been around good coaches when not only Frank, but also when he was an assistant, you know, at Georgia and Oklahoma and so forth. And he stepped into that role. Well, I would love to get the show back there. I would love to get back for a game because what I'm about to say is going to infuriate South Carolina fans. And I don't do this on purpose. I take no pleasure in this. The first time I went there, I was so excited for the entrance. You know, they're, they're big, they're 2001 entrance and all, everything that goes with it. And when they, when it happened, I was kind of like, that, that, that's it. I've, I've been real excited about this. Why this is it. So I, I want to give them another opportunity to, to blow me away with the, with the entrance to start the game at William, Williams Price Stadium because I kind of was like, yeah, okay, it's fine. And I don't want to feel that way about it because everybody gets all excited about it. I don't want to be the guy that I talk about all the time that when you, that when you rave about what, what is that show you watch? Watcher? Is that the show? The Watcher. On the Netflix. Watcher. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy that when his friends tell him about the watcher or tell him that I've got the the greatest restaurant better than all the ones you like on the North end of Boston, I've got a better one for you. I don't want to be the guy that roots against that, you know, and I wasn't rooting against the South Carolina entrance. I want a second chance for them to, for me to go, wow. Okay. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get that, but I've got to say, the, the times I've been there before, it's, it, and I've called games there on Thursday night. I was there for Spurrier's first game. Uh, you know, it was good, but it, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't what I had built it up to be or had it built up to me in my mind. Well, here's what's good, Reese. Uh, the five and two Gamecocks have Missouri at home Saturday. They'll be favored winnable game at Vanderbilt. They'll be favored winnable game at Florida. It'll they probably be a field goal underdog. And then they close so they could, in theory, realistically be eight and two, closing Tennessee and Columbia and at Clemson. I would that say could be interesting. You could yeah, that would be a heck of an entrance for that Tennessee game if they're uh, if they're sitting there rocking and rolling. Yeah. It, 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 wouldn't that be great? I mean to have that kind of road test. Now that is the one because it's at home and because of the emotion that I would give them. Uh, they probably have a better chance on paper against Clemson, uh, you know, in terms of matchups, but, yes. but the venue might favor, if you're going to lean toward an upset, the venue uh, might lean to Tennessee, but I will bet after enduring what they've endured with this great Dabo dynasty at Clemson, that if you if you gave them a choice, they go okay. Yeah, it'd be nice to beat Tennessee at home. It'd be a really fun uh, night or afternoon in Williams Price Stadium. Give me that win against the Tigers to ruin things for them. I think that's what they would prefer, don't you? I I would uh, I would think so. I would think so. They uh, <laughs> what did Dabo say for the Syracuse game? He said weird things always happen in this game. We sacrifice a billy goat. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, but that's out of the Dabo playbook. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just and, and weird things have happened in that game uh, yeah. over over the years. So I thought that was I thought that was entertaining. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would think if I was a South Carolina fan, I'd be I'd be ready for uh, well, you know that would be the orange I'd prefer to beat of the final two oranges. Uh, okay. Orange is the color of the season. Wojciechowski did an unbelievable essay on that yeah. Saturday. It was really. Um, 
really good. We sort of beat Texas A&M to death on Monday, and I don't want to. I don't want to go back down that road. But there has been some news and potential, uh, potentially other news from their highly touted recruiting class. From what you've been able to dig up, what what in the? I don't know how to ask this question other than going, what in the world? What, what so I made is some happening calls to, Made some A&M calls yesterday, and uh, look, there's. There's issues there, but this is this is what was what was made very clear to me. Anyone who speculates that they're going to choke up the eighty something million, oh, yeah, together, it's just zero. It's like there's zero non-starter conversations now. How they change, where they change, where they go. We've spent a bunch of time talking about that. Uh, Pollock had some thoughts or, earlier in the season. Um, that's all real, and that's all that's all on the table. Um, and you know, sometimes when finances enter recruiting, which I think it's fair to say legally has happened at Texas Mm -hmm, mm A&M. Decisions aren't made on fit. Yeah. And there have been some, some interesting fits there at, uh, at at Texas A&M, which has resulted in now the second wave of young players being, being suspended. And look, that's all part of it, right? Like that, that is what college athletics are. You get to college, you're probably not ready. You show up. I wasn't ready when I got to college. There was a big learning curve, educationally, socially, et cetera. And they're they're going through it right now in a very high profile way. In the social media age, they're certainly all getting pounded for losing. So I, I have some empathy for the kids who are there kind of fighting, fighting through this right now. But look, it's uh it's it's a mess. And Jimbo is not hardwired well to handle messes. That's yeah. just not that's just not who he is. He is not a soothing, calming presence. He just talks faster when things get bad. <laughs> the, so, uh, yeah, if, it, people, if people don't know, they, they've suspended three players yes. indefinitely. Denver Harris, defensive back. Chris Marshall, I don't, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think Marshall's played a lot. But uh, And then offensive lineman P.J. Williams, a couple of those guys are on their second suspension uh, this year. So one, they were in the group that got suspended for the Miami game. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's messy there. Is it as messy at Miami? Uh, to Miami as Virginia this weekend, coming off an uh, almost unbelievable eight turnover game um, and a loss to Duke. And you know, one thing that I didn't didn't really care for that that Cristobal said uh, this week was acknowledging whether directly or indirectly um, this idea that the roster was inadequate and. You know, all coaches are going to say that they want to get their guys in, and I'm sure there's some truth to it. But, you know, they've got good players. But my first question would have been, so Duke's roster was adequate? So, <laughs> so I mean, so Mike Elko walked in there, and he and his roster is adequate enough to, uh, to blow you out of your own than building? Yours. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing is, what coaches might say behind closed doors is, is fair game. Because we all do it in all walks of life. We, you know, we complain about this, that, or the other things we want to change, whatever it might be. But publicly, man, just wear that. If somebody, if somebody asks you that question, say, look, we're going to try to get the best players that we can possibly get in here. But we believe in the players we've got now. And we're going to try to make them their best. We weren't at our best. We were terrible today. Can't turn the ball over eight times. Not going to win that way. You know, and, you know, whatever, we're, we're going to play better. It's probably true, but you gotta you gotta wear one every now and then, man. When the fastball rides in on you, you just gotta turn your hip into it and wear it, you know. And I, at least for that particular uh, little exchange, which you know, I don't want to, 
overly exaggerated. Uh, but for that little exchange, I was like, come on, man, just wear it. Just, just wear it. Uh, but well, let's say, let's say this, like one of the areas that's been weak there is the offensive line. Right. And a lot of times when you take over, you know, some type of rebuild, and I don't think it was the roster was destitute. If you go back and look at how my Manny Diaz recruited, he recruited fine. Right. Certainly recruited better than Duke did. So, yeah. um, but if you're Mario Cristobal, who's an offensive line coach, you have your uh, Alex Mirabal, who's your sort of longtime buddy offensive line coach, and you give up six sacks to Duke, how much of that is the players and how much of that is the scheme? When you turn the ball over eight times, now obviously some some of that was after Tyler Van Dyke got hurt and Jake Garcia went in the game. Or Garcia had three interceptions, mm-hmm. um, which which led maybe a closer game to being the forty five twenty one game. Duke scored twenty one unanswered in in the in the fourth quarter. So, uh, I certainly uh, I, I certainly think that you know that they're they're probably you know it, no job's perfect when you take it over, right? So. In, in, in that sense, but that I, at this moment, if I'm Mario Cristobal, I'm worried about Tyler Van Dyke going and getting a million dollars from somebody else to go play quarterback because you have not given him a good scheme to thrive. He thrived in the scheme last year and he has failed in it this year. It's very mm-hmm. simple, right? He thrived and looked like, you know, somebody who could be a first round NFL draft pick. No, he's been banged up and it hasn't been perfect. They don't have a ton of skill around him, but there has been a significant regression. And some of that, has, you have to look in the mirror and say, I did not accommodate this very talented player to, to the point where he is. And some of that, you just have to look in the mirror and say, I failed as a coach. And I think there has to be some of that ownership right now. Deflecting it, to me, is, uh, is, is, not, a good, is not a good sign of leadership there. I mean, there is just, look, Duke was the laughing stock of the ACC last year. They not only lost all their ACC games, they lost them all by it an outlandish average score. I did the math in at ACC media day this year, but it was, they were three scores worse than the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. And now they're three scores better. So I credit Mike Elko. Mike Elko should be the ACC coach of the year and mm-hmm. he should be in contention for some, now I think Josh Heupel may win national coach of the year. And, and right. So. <laughs> you, Mike, you think that one's over, do you? Yeah. I mean, boy, yeah. close to I, it. I don't know if it's over, but Jalen highlights behind the defense wide open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but just Mike Elko deserves a tremendous amount of credit. He's, it's interesting that that some of these coaches, just the, the guys who come in and are really sturdy and, and have kind of been some of the stories of this season are FCS guys and then guys who've been on the defensive side of the ball. You know, everybody wants the shiny new Lincoln Riley. But when you go through and you look at Willie Fritz, who's had an unbelievable renaissance at Tulane, flipping him from 2-10, and 10, you look at Lance Leipold coming in and resuscitating Kansas from the dead. Now, both those guys were, you know, had significant experience winning big at lower levels. Mike Elko was, uh, you know, he started at Merchant Marine Academy, probably down the road from you in Connecticut there, right, Reese? Um, and, you know, won at Hofstra as a coordinator, Richmond as a coordinator, and, and went through. So just because you are an Alabama GA and then a position coach and then a coordinator and have a ton of success with the best players, that is not always the uh, the best indicator of success. And when you, uh, when you go through and look through, you know, Wake Forest is number 11 in the country. And credit to Dave Clawson because we're not even, like, awed by that anymore. But, like, mm-hmm. Wake Forest, one of the worst jobs – 
in all of the, the you know, the power five is number 11 in the country. Well, Clawson cut his teeth at Fordham and Richmond be- before he went. So there's just, there's just different ways to, you know, skin a cat, if you will, uh, if you will, proverbially, obviously you got chips sitting there with UCLA in the top 15, you know, everybody remembers all his NFL stuff, but he was at New Hampshire as a coordinator for like a decade and a half. He didn't have a cup of coffee there. He had like a lifetime, a lifetime there. So there's there's different ways to kind of learn and grow. Climbing at K State, they've been a great story this year. There's another example. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read the top 25 off, but as all these all as all these athletic directors are sitting there, I think there's seven jobs open right now, Reese. Mm-hmm. And you evaluate and you want to go after the the shiny new toy. Um, there's there's always like a hey, let's sit back and like find the guy who's really gone in one big. And yeah figured out ways to do it, manage rosters, manage people, manage adversity, um, overcome a losing season. There's a power to, you know, there's a power to losing in what, in what you learn from it. Shoot, Josh Heupel was fired and he went to Utah state as a coordinator. Um, but before he, uh, before he left and look, when you, when you think about Josh Heupel, how good is he an evaluator of quarterbacks? Like how did he find the skills in Hendon hooker that nobody else saw that Justin Fuente couldn't maximize? Well, he found Jordan love who had like an offer from Sac state, you know, in California, recruited him to Utah State, never coached him because he left. Like, Josh Heupel kind of knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Almost almost had a chance to uh, coach Adrian Martinez, too, because on uh, among the various places that Adrian committed to and then the coach either left or got fired was, I believe, when Heupel was the OC at Missouri. And so, you know, he's he's had a way of, of finding guys. So it's a, it's a great point. Uh, Duke was very high on getting Elko. That was a big win for them. And, you know, I don't know how many more games the Blue Devils will win this year, but I do know this. Uh, when you play Duke, you better put on your big boy pants uh, because they're going to they're gonna be ready to play. Pete, not to be that annoying, nitpicky guy, but just, and this is really just as a service to keep Dave Clawson from blowing up your phone. Technically, uh, Wake Forest is tied with USC for the 10th spot in the AP poll. Either way, point uh, well taken as always, about the about the Demon Deacons. So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. You know what's coming on Friday. Picks. Things that you can make money on, not by listening to us, but by picking against us. That would prove to be very profitable uh, based on the struggling first half of the season that Pete, Bill Connolly, and I have. We appreciate you listening. ask you to continue to download this podcast wherever it is. You like to get podcasts, College Game Day on its way to Jackson or Southern and Jackson State this weekend. We'll be back with picks on Friday. See you next time.